So one practice I see for those firms that are at the, at the leading edge is, is the idea that they, in general, seek to retain information. That's Sean Simmons, a leader in PwC's data and analytics technology practice. This is Heather Horn, and I'm happy you've joined me for another episode in our Forecast 2021 podcast miniseries. For CFOs and controllers, knowing the best ways to prepare and report on data is a post-pandemic must. That's why today we're talking about how finance teams can better capture, retain, and speak to the data that will allow better end-to-end enterprise decision-making. It's a big job, but someone's got to do it. So let's get started. John, thanks so much for joining me today. We're talking about a topic I have a lot of interest in, and I know it's something we all saw as working at home during the pandemic, needing access to good information. But even in my work as our thought leader, we have a lot of information and keeping it organized, making sure people have access to the right information at the right time is quite a challenge. But very curious when we identified use possible resource to come on the show, I didn't really realize that people had jobs like yours. So how did you get interested in this? That's a good question, actually. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was deliberate. Uh, it's been more uh, just an evolution over time. I started out in the Air Force. I was an Intel officer. We use data all the time. You can imagine, right? Uh, gathering from multiple sources to understand what was going on and reporting that up. It was absolutely a critical piece of what we did. And from there, uh, I got involved in manufacturing, service operations, business strategy, and every step of the way, data was both the opportunity and the challenge. Uh, scarcity of data, the need for it to help inform decisions was always at the heart of it. And from, from that theme, my career evolved towards understanding the technology, understanding the nature of data itself, where it's coming from, how it's used, et cetera. And that's, that's how I arrived where I'm at, which is, you know, leading our data and analytics uh, teams here in the U.S. So, John, it's you're working with a client. What is a typical assignment that you guys are working on? I would say in the last year, there has been a, a very material shift, I would say, in the work that I'm doing from the front office to the back office or balance, I should say. It's not that companies have They've slowed down or, or ceased to try to understand customers. But really the shift that we're seeing and that I'm seeing is getting to know the enterprise overall. And so there it's uh, the finance function, it's operations, products, what data exists both internal to the organization and external to the organization to leverage, to drive uh, and understanding what's going on. So what I'm really focused on these days is understanding both in the here and now and in the next year or two for my clients, how can they get their arms around the data they need to understand what's going on in the business itself and to use that data to help them be more efficient, drive more growth, and be more responsible uh, citizens in the economy. So, John, when we talk about data, is there a difference between information and data? Because we also said this, talking about information management, or are you really more focused on data na- management, which I think of at least as being more numbers? 
in some sense of the question, I think it's not relevant, but I, I, that's I, fine. It, Good. I love that answer. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Tell me why. Well, well, we've been using data or information, uh, ever since the Sumerians developed cuneiform, started put, tracking goats and, uh, wine on clay tablets, right? That, that you could argue that's data, but it's also what it represents is information. So numbers are just representations of information. Information could be text. Um, it could be a picture. Um, and that's what we've, that, so we've evolved to this capability of not just tracking things in a bean counting sense and forgive the, the you know perhaps derogatory uh phrase uh but also in the understanding sense which is maybe what what information is really getting at you know an understanding of what numbers are trying to tell us or pictures or text are trying to represent so if, if there is a difference between data and information, it's that. That data could be used to uh, refer to the number text, number and, you know, character representation of information, whereas information is more the contextual understanding of what that data is trying to tell us. So then when we're talking about either information or data, are you mostly looking at structured sets of data or information or is it unstructured? And again, part of the reason I'm asking that is I think as an accountant and most of our listeners are accountants, when you see a structured set of data, it's like you kind of know what to do. But when you start to see this disparate set of information, that's when I think people start to say, I I know I need to do something with this, but how do I deal with it? Yeah. So definitely the vast majority of data that we are working with is structured data. And I think the reason is, you know, relatively straightforward. It's easier to work with structured data. Um, and the inferences or the information that you can derive from it, um, is more explainable because I can, I can do math. I can add X and Y and I can get Z and I can explain that um, scenario. But if I'm dealing with unstructured data, uh, just by its very nature, it's less deterministic. Uh, it's easy to misinterpret or miss pieces of that unstructured data to, to understand what's, what's really going on. So I think naturally over, you know, recent decades, we've focused on the structured data because it's easier and that's appropriate. In recent years, I think both from the explosion, if I can use that word, of unstructured data, uh, whether it's documents or images or even uh, Internet of Things derived data that comes in asynchronously from from assets in the field, for instance, that unstructured or semi-structured data is is more prevalent and we have clients and scenarios where really looking at that data and making use of it is becoming uh, more interesting and, and frankly, uh, a requirement to uh, continue to drive the business forward. So, And then, John, have, did you see the pandemic having an impact here or was it already really moving in that direction? That's a great question. I, you know, uh, I think it's been out there prior to the pandemic, for sure. But the pandemic, I believe, was a little bit of a wake-up call 
to enterprises in general. And it's, and I would even generalize it to a number of events in the last 12, 18 months. The Suez Canal incident that occurred recently is another good example. The trend towards and focus on ESG is another trend. These types of events and or trends are um, highlighting the need for organizations to take uh, and drive a, a more holistic use of data, whether it's structured or unstructured data. And so COVID, what a lot of companies recognized is their ability to see where demand is shifting was you know all predicated on historical patterns. They were tracking unit sales or you know, inventory levels in, in different parts of their supply chain at a specific level of granularity, the, the pandemic changed everything. It was, it was a, it was a discontinuous event in uh, demand and that created all kinds of issues in how companies were looking at supply and demand. In addition, internal operations, I, I saw a number of clients dealing with uh, things as basic as knowing where supplies were, uh, medical, medical suppliers, healthcare providers suddenly had a very, very specific need for understanding where their PPE was. Uh, and so, you know, you had, uh, those enterprises that had maybe a, a large supply of, uh, personal protective equipment, but they didn't have the ability to understand exactly where they needed to get that equipment in, in space and time. It's, it's something as simple as which uh, storerooms in a hospital might have have those supplies uh, was suddenly uh, absolutely critical information. And they didn't have it at the level of detail that they needed. So, And that, that sort of experience really, I think, crystallized it for a lot of enterprises that they had some good infrastructure and good processes in place to understand the high level, what's going on, supply, demand, operational uh, situation type of uh, information and data. But uh, when you see these discontinuous events, whether it's COVID, whether it's the Suez Canal, whether it's a semiconductor shortage, those types of things uh, require a deeper level of understanding what's going on in the, in the business. So I'm interested at your reference to the Suez Canal because we did, we actually have talked about that incident on past podcasts, but more in the very specific discussion of supply chain. And mm -hmm. so are you talking about supply chain data or specifically how did that impact how companies are thinking about this space? It, it does uh, largely center around supply chain information. But, but, you know, it can be generalized to the entire enterprise. If you're, if, if you happen to be in the business of shipping, uh, goods around the globe. So number one, again, you know, it's a disruption to your supply chain, understanding what containers on which ships are impacted by that particular scenario. And then what are your alternatives to continue to, to service the flow of those goods and services? is an element that's the supply chain piece but then you have the revenue and the on the the growth side you have the revenue planning of it and then you have sales and customer relations that you have to have to deal with so if i don't know what shipments are going to be impacted i don't necessarily know which customers are going to be 
specifically impacted by this delay? How do I replan the specific orders uh, so that I can minimize the impact on customer satisfaction, minimize delay in servicing uh, specific clients? So it, it has very broad impact. So uh, a shipping delay like that could have impacts on wireless uh, 5G buildouts in in the U.S. So how does you know any tower company? How do they internalize this and then replan their their strategy to build out those networks? It goes well beyond supply chain. Uh, that's really the thing that came to light. It's not just about containers on ships. It's about uh, the end to end enterprise, customer operations, uh, service, etc. So as you're talking to CFOs and controllers, what are they really focused on then today in terms of how to manage their data successfully? So broadly, I would say they're focused on high return incremental steps, which, which is a very rational and, and good strategy. And what that means is they're looking for how can they take data that they have today and incrementally improve it? And get higher value. It's a, sort of that simple decision-making process. Um, some of the areas that I've seen in general are trying to drive more granularity in the existing data sets that they're collecting. I'll give you a, uh, a specific example. Tax organizations, they require information or data at a legal entity level so that they can uh, do do uh, what they need to do right, and report on taxes at that legal entity level. The general organization isn't as focused on legal entity level information. So for the usual purposes in operations uh, and planning, they might not forecast at a legal entity level, but uh, the tax teams could use that information, that forecast at a legal entity level so that they can derive a better plan around treasury activities and and a variety of other things. So that's an example of maybe a a high return, low effort activity is uh, taking the existing information, which might be actual data on sales mapped to a a legal entity and um, marrying that with forecast data at a legal entity level. It doesn't seem like rocket science, and it isn't rocket science, and that's a good thing. Um, but at, 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 again, it's one of those things where they can get a high return because then they can do better planning to get a, you know, to optimize their effective tax rates. So that's an example. I see many CFOs are are starting to take a more assertive stance on using artificial intelligence to do two things: one, to um, understand data that they're bringing in and and try to get more granularity in the data that they're looking at, but also to look for anomalies. So if you're spending on, you know, infrastructure build, capital uh, expenses, how can I look at that data to not only look at unit costs, um, but also look at patterns of capital expenditures and project milestones and things of that nature that might uh, lead to increases in in cost 
Um, so using anomaly detection as an uh, artificial intelligence technique on data to, to pick up on those patterns and then work those back into your procurement activities as well as your operational planning and, and execution activities. Those, those are examples of where I'm seeing it. So can I ask a specific question? The reason I earlier asked you about the difference between information and data is because one of the things I'm curious about is people managing non-numeric information. And, you know, an example that could come to mind that would apply to our audience would be they all have accounting manuals. And so they all have very specific accounting policies that tell them in this situation, do this, in this situation, do this. Mm -hmm. But occasionally they'll do something different and there'll be a reason for it. It'll get properly documented and then kind of lost in the sands of time. And then 10 years later, someone's trying to figure out, wait, didn't we one time do this one thing? And, you know, if you're running a multinational organization and you have accounting departments all over the world making those occasional, but that then add up types of decisions, keeping track of all of them is not easy. And so do you find people dealing with those types of questions or is that, are we still not at a point where we're able to really deal with managing that type of information? Heather, I, I'm wondering if you're sitting in my client meetings. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uncanny. Um, so I'd say it's not something that has bubbled to the surface until recently, uh, but it is definitely one of those areas where firms are, are recognizing. I, th I think they're seeing it more as an opportunity than mm -hmm. as a challenge that's an imminent threat, if you will, strong words. But I, the, um, the point is that as they're getting more comfortable with unstructured data, they're seeing this as, as a real opportunity to improve their reporting, improve their uh, decision-making process, improve their compliance posture, uh, even as they, as they make these, uh, exception uh, uh, types of decisions, they can capture that and they can capture the context for that. And, and to build on what you're saying, what, what my clients are, are observing or, or recognizing is as they make those decisions, the people that are involved and have the context around those decisions, they're, they may or may not be around. And, and sometimes th there are decisions that were 10 years old, seven years old. And so, um, context really helps understand how to optimize your next decision. And too often they've lost that context. So I, I think it's seen as an opportunity because A, we're getting more unstructured data. We're digitizing that in a way that it's consumable. That's, that's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing that they have uh, that unstructured data. Now the question is how do they maintain it in a way that it's consumable down the road so that they can they can maintain that context. So do you see anyone doing this well yet? Or are people still trying to figure out how to deal with, and again, I'll say unstructured non-numeric data? Right. So there are a number of enterprises that are looking at it more aggressively than others. And, it, and then they tend to be those organizations that, again, that have already gathered unstructured data. I'll, I'll highlight, let's say, utility companies. Uh, utility companies have historically had a, a vast array of unstructured data relating to assets in the field. 
And that information has been necessary based on regulatory requirements, but also because of operational needs to understand maintenance schedules, uh, you know, up, updates, upgrades, the, the specific status of equipment in the field and the like. And so that unstructured data has been latent for decades, if not centuries in some cases. And I think, you know, not to, not to highlight any one particular thing, but again, in that industry, in the utilities industry, the age of equipment in the field, the, the maintenance status and things of that nature have, have shown to be an important, very, very important aspect of their business. And so they're, they're taking more aggressive, uh, more assertive action to, uh, use that unstructured data to help them make decisions about allocating upgrades and field maintenance activities and the like. So John, now you're really speaking to me because before I had this job, I was a power and utilities audit partner. Oh my goodness. So I'm very a familiar. Now. I'm a, <laughs> like I'm on thin ice. All right. No, no. <laughs> Be you, kind you, to me. <laughs> I know you, you were right there. You're very nice. Not pointing out that it can have true operational issues if you don't have a track of this data. So right. um, that's an excellent example. And let me go back then to another thing you said that I thought was really interesting and you said sometimes these decisions or this data, you need context for the data. So even if you think about our utility data, what year something was built actually gives you information maybe about the technology that was used or otherwise. And same thing if you're making an accounting decision, if you knew it was made in 2008 during the financial crisis, mm-hmm. you might have a different view of it than Precisely. if, mm-hmm. yeah. So how, how does context fit in? Or again, it's just something companies need to think about as they're capturing this information or organizing this information, making sure context is not lost from that. It's a very difficult question to grapple with, to be honest. Context could almost be infinite, right? <laughs> um, and and so to a certain extent, you don't know what context you're missing, Sometimes, right? I think the easiest bar to set uh, when when thinking about this is just try not to lose what gets written down or recorded. That will afford you the opportunity to go back and look at context or, or derive context from data or information from data. But again, it's like I said, it could be infinite in nature and you know, if I was going back to your, your example about a decision made during the financial crisis, um, you know, do I need to understand unemployment rates, interest rates, price of gold, uh, you know, issues, uh, with, you know, in the housing market? Do I need to know it at, you know, what level should I understand that as it relates to whatever decision I made at that time? There's a whole, uh, you know, array of variables that could make up context. So I think the rule of thumb, at least now, should be work towards capturing everything that went into the decision. And I think there's technology components that are assisting in facilitating that. So business process management systems, for instance, I, I now have digitized workflows for how uh, transactions or decisions are made. The coordinated use of enterprise resource planning systems with systems of insight and those workflow uh, systems as well. 
context exists in all three of those domains, the ERP, system of insight, and the system of engagement or the business process that you go through. And so capturing and retaining the information through that process is sort of the, that low bar that I'm suggesting is where people should start and where they are starting. Beyond that, then there's those external or extrinsic factors that might be on a sheet of paper somewhere or in, you know, some, somebody's head as they're making that decision. That's a tougher thing to get to, to grapple with. And like I said, it gets into that infinite realm, but, um, you know, I think it, it boils down to look at your processes for making decisions today and be circumspect and critical about how you're making that decision, what really is going into that decision and uh, try to digitize that, that information so that you can have access to it uh, down the road. Yeah. John, you know, as I've been listening to you, we often have guests on the podcast that talk about sort of a realm of companies, you know, best practices are doing this and other companies maybe are in their infancy, but actually this area, it feels like it's even hard to put a spectrum together, right? Because you have structured data and unstructured data. You have different types of data. You have different ways to use the data. And so as you're thinking about companies that maybe are more best practice in general dealing with data and information, are there any common characteristics of those companies? Or if I'm a listener thinking, I need to start focusing on this, are there some things I should look for? So... Yeah, one practice I see in general for those firms that are at the at the leading edge is is the idea that they in general seek to retain information. Of course, you gotta be careful with what you keep around lying around because information can become stale, but it can also become misleading over time. Right. So it's perishable. But in general, those firms that are at the leading edge seek first to capture and retain information. That's, that's a guiding principle. That's not a, you know, universal mandate, uh, but it's just a, a guiding principle. Um, that's, that's one aspect of it. I think the other thing that I see is that the leading companies are making it a, a focus, a mantra, if you will, culturally. One of the things that we we all use this data in making decisions. It's what helps us be better citizens and, and, um, business people, et cetera. But so oftentimes we don't recognize when experience is distorting or, or maybe at odds with data. And it's not to say that experience is a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that at all, but, um, it's more that, um, that experience is probably based on some subset of data. That may be relevant, maybe less relevant. In any case, the point is that culturally, organizations that are at the leading edge in this area are um, emphasizing the principle of focusing on the data, even in the experience, when you bring experience into the picture. Try to drill down into that. What, what was the observable data points that come through that experience? And then let's capture that and bake that into what we're tracking and how we make decisions going forward. Don't discount the experience, but seek to embed it into the data, not allow it to just be a one-off type of 
type of thing. So that's the cultural dimension that I see in the organizations that I'm working with. All right. Let's go back to ESG for a moment. So you mentioned how ESG fits in and in some ways it's almost obvious because you need information to report on ESG. But on the other hand, again, you're dealing with a huge realm of information coming from different sources, different level of controls, et cetera. And so how do you see companies thinking about this type of information? So ESG is an area that has been around for a long time, but there's really on a relative basis, very few standards for, or even just different standards for how you should look at things like diversity and inclusion. Perhaps on the environmental side, there's, there are certain standards, leads and things of that nature that have helped us understand what, what it is that we should be looking at to be, you know, to advance our uh, agenda in ESG. So part of what I see going on is firms trying to understand First of all, what is it that I should be measuring? If I can't identify what I'm measuring, it's hard for me to go back and say, here's the data that I need. Very hard. Um, <clears throat> so there's a little bit uh, in, in this moment right now, a little bit of figuring that out. And as I said, there's, there's some areas that are more concrete than others. There's been some conversations to try to think about data that they may not have access to and enterprises are starting to explore um, uh, what that might be. So a, a good example, diversity and inclusion factors are, are things where we have done a decent job measuring, we can measure in our uh, workforce systems, the complexion uh, and makeup of our, our workforce. But what isn't as clear as what the labor force is in you know uh, in the community that we can draw on what opportunities are we missing to identify a, a labor force that might have the skills and the uh the experiences the set of experiences to strengthen our workforce the you know, sort of classic diversity uh, type of types of objectives we tend to uh, and this is just a tendency we're in a location, we look in that local community for resources and skills to help complement what we have. But getting that view outside our enterprise, outside our communities is much harder. So that's an area where I see uh, firms asking, how can they get access to information that will give them a more comprehensive view of the opportunities in that space. John, let me ask though, with let's say diversity and inclusion, even that you're often relying on employees self-reporting mm -hmm. different characteristics. And even was talking to my kids actually about LGBTQ and how it's changed over time. And they asked me, they're like, why would someone tell their employer that they had that characteristic? Because you don't know, you know, what someone might want to do with that information. And so how does a company deal with that if they're trying to do the right thing? They want to get this information, but maybe their employees don't feel comfortable sharing that type of information. Once again, Heather, you, you're, it feels like you're in my, my client meetings. Uh, so th that's one of those things that is the greatest challenge in data overall and quality of data, the, um, uh, lack of coverage, to use the term of art, you know, the ability to understand what's actually going across, uh, going on across the population that you're trying to measure, um, is often 
uh, fraught with holes, uh, errors, uh, errors of omission, errors of you know record, and so on and so forth. So it's a it's a serious challenge. Well, and I think John it is such a difficult topic, and I think it in a way summarizes everything we've talked about here. That whether you are dealing with shipping data or other data, you made the point data quality. But in addition, we just have a long way to go. You know, from where we are now with our data to you know where companies would like to be in the future. So maybe just to wrap up, you mentioned downside. You also mentioned data is perishable, so I can't let you leave without <laughs> explaining that a little right, bit more. Right, right. So um, the downside of data can be obvious and it can be subtle. Um, the obvious downside is if I am c- gathering data on my customers, this, this is the kind of uh, example we go to often, uh, I, I need to be careful that I'm not misusing that data. Uh, and I could be thinking that it's I'm using it for completely legitimate, justifiable business purposes. But in fact, I could be on the border of an appropriate use of that data. So um, while I'm suggesting that leading practices is to default to collect and gather data, that is, as I said, the default guiding principle to those leading leading firms. But then they need to have a very um, a complementary, robust process for understanding how they're using that data and when it's appropriate, and who has access to it, how I'm sharing it, and then ultimately how I'm using that data. So I think that's that's sort of the obvious downside. It may be the wrong word, but um, risk or challenge um, with uh, gathering data. Um, I think there's other subtle issues with having data or more subtle, I should say. So if I gather more data, I could have an issue in masking ultimately what's going on in the data. I can have the, the issue of noise. Um, so if I've, if I've got an excessive amount of data that uh, tells me sales are, are trending up, um, but what I'm missing is that there's dissatisfaction with features in my products. I'm, as to use a very basic example, I may, may be missing the forest for the trees, um, type of, um, challenge. So there's downsides to this nature. And those are two ends of the spectrum. One is misuse and, uh, you know, leading to potentially you know, issues at a compliance or regulatory level or an ethical level. And then there's the the challenge of uh, misunderstanding what's going on in my data as I collect it. So John, final question, and you kind of gave us some breadcrumbs as we were going through, but I'll ask anyway. So if we kind of fast forward this conversation a few years, if you're looking in your crystal ball and you are thinking about what we will be talking about, then where do you think we'll be in the data conversation? I think um, where this is heading is uh, to a greater sort of a sharing mechanism, a sharing uh, environment for data that partners, suppliers, customers, uh, enterprises, they're all going to be more active in sharing data that's going to require a lot of conversation and thoughtfulness around how those mechanisms Will work, but I think we're going to be we're, we're well down the path where enterprises are have understood that data is an asset and data is something that they can they can gain competitive advantage 
and have an impact, uh, a positive impact in their communities and uh, in the world. That I think is where we're going. The technology supports it. The competitive pressures are uh, urging us in that direction. And, and I think that uh, as, as we grow more comfortable with gathering data and using the data that we have, it will ultimately go in that direction. So sharing and, and the constructs, technological policy and otherwise that it will support that, I think is, is largely where, where we'll be talking in the next three years. Well, John, I definitely know we only scratched the surface here. So I really appreciate the insight that you shared in your candor and look forward to hopefully having you back. That does it for today. Before you go packing your picnic basket to enjoy the unofficial start to summer, a quick listener reminder, be sure to tune in next Tuesday for the first episode in our newest series on presentation and disclosure. Think you don't need a one-on-one summer course? Well, think again. Our first episode is looking at the balance sheet, and I promise you don't want to miss it. So that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.